And now here's another timely yet timeless word from the Word of God from one of our services at First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. If you have your Bibles, you'd open up to Romans chapter 8. We are continuing our study through Romans 8, and especially it being Mother's Day, where we're at. Who knows more about suffering than our mothers? Am I right, kids? <laughs> no, this verse here, we're in Romans 8, 28. So for those of you hoping for a short sermon, it's only one verse, so hopefully it'll, uh, it'll happen for you. Um, well, this passage, we, we land on it at Mother's Day, and especially being one that talks about how God continues to bless and grow us through suffering, lets us know that most of the time, while we might not see the end result or we might not see you know, the, the future ahead of us, that God is indeed faithful to us, even when times are, are difficult. And so if you will with me, let's read Romans eight twenty eight together. We will continue. It says here in verse 28, And we know that for God who loves... Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry, reading is hard. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, all right, let's take two, right? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, this passage here is one of the more favorited verses in all of Scripture. As a matter of fact, Dave came to me and said, Guess what, Tyler? Uh, it turns out that you're going to preach Romans 8, 28. And I said, Oh, man, that's awesome. Can I have 29 and 30 as well? And he went, No, you got 28. You don't step on those. And so uh, I've been told not to step on that. So, uh, uh, But unbeknownst to him, I've got the microphone. Uh, so, uh, so some of that might just pop up because you can't read this verse outside of the context that it's in. Because... A lot of people consider this verse their favorite because they see the subject as all things and not the subject of this verse being God. And so they look at this passage and they say, hey, all things work together for, for our good. When in fact, it's, it's just the opposite. It's, it's for those who love God is, is the subject. And, and especially in, in our prosperity age, we like things, you know. In fact, uh, I'll never forget. I was in uh, Smith Hall at the Baptist College of Florida. Probably one person in this room might get that reference. And we were sitting there watching TBN one day because you know nothing's ever on on cable television. And this was back before these times, kids, where we got to uh, record or watch on demand. You actually had to sit down and watch at a specific time to to watch something, or else you missed it. And so we were watching TBN and. Uh, uh, because there was nothing else on, and there was this pastor who was on uh, the program, and he said that he was poor and and struggling, and then God called him to the ministry, and now he has four or five cars and two mansions, and isn't that just the showing of God's glory? And if, you know, on there they they're you know you know clapping, and oh yeah, that's awesome, that's awesome. But the truth of the matter is, is that most of the time when you think of the most uh, especially in a church setting, a family setting like this, when you think of someone who you go to for prayer, it's normally someone who's struggled a lot and has come through. Indeed, suffering is something that God uses to grow us into His likeness. 
As a matter of fact, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian in the 30s and 40s in Nazi Germany. As a matter of fact, though he was a pacifist, he actually uh, partook in the plot to assassinate uh, Hitler in the uh, Operation Valkyrie. Uh, and because of that, he was arrested. And about three weeks before the end of the war, uh, he was executed uh, because of this. Because, in fact, in the 30s, the Nazi uh, party had actually uh, prohibited him from speaking in public. So then he began to write. And then they began to prohibit him from writing. And so then uh, he taught at a seminary. And then they got rid of his seminary and he went underground. But one thing that I found interesting about Bonhoeffer, uh, especially in his books, a book on discipleship, is how much he uses suffering as a way of growing the individual and growing the person following Jesus. As a matter of fact, he says that when, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. He bids him come and die. Uh, it is amazing how God uses suffering for His good, uh, uh, for, for our good and His glory. And in fact, John Chrysostom, uh, or John Chrysostom, whichever one you like to go, or we'll call it pronunciation, is Chrysostom. Uh, but he, he says, uh, this is the, the, the golden-tongued, he's one of the, the more famous preachers of, of antiquity. He basically summarizes his verse by saying, uh, For should even tribulation or poverty or imprisonment or famines or death or anything else whatsoever come upon us, God is able to change all things into the opposite. So the main idea for this passage here is that God uses suffering to grow us for His good according to His perfect plan. God uses suffering to grow us for, excuse me, His glory according to His perfect plan. Now, I've broken up this passage here because we are this verse, I should say, because you know, it's just one verse. Uh, so uh, I've broken up into a few of the, the phrases so, so we can kind of unpack this more uh, deeply. But we got to remember the, the context behind this passage, where it's going, is that, that the church is suffering for the gospel. Now, I want to make sure that uh, we understand what suffering is. Suffering is not being blocked on Facebook. Suffering is not, uh, you know, uh, somebody telling you they don't care about your opinion. The people that Paul's talking to here are dying for the gospel. Their lives are on the line. And Paul is encouraging them to continue in that, and that, that the gospel is worth it. And so as we look at this passage here, it's important for us to understand that God uses suffering for, for growing us for our good. And the fact is, is that if you are not suffering, more than likely you are not growing. So, let's, let's break apart this passage. First two words right here, right? Or first three, I should say, and we know, right? This, this idea of knowledge, right? Uh, the question we come to is, how do we know? What does this term know mean? What does know mean? I don't know if you know this or not, but there's, there's two different types of knowledge. You see this in the Greek as well. Um, there's that external knowledge, right, of something that you gain through either uh, toiling, right, or, or, or working hard. Uh, just, we're about to be at the end of school, right? Education is a way in which we gain knowledge that we did not previously know. And then there's also inner knowledge, right? Uh, and the inner knowledge is stuff that we as 
all of humans know that we all understand 100% and that to go outside of that, we think of those people as weird, right? So outside knowledge gaining, right, as we mentioned, education, mathematics, right? Mathematics is not something that just naturally comes to most everybody, right? We consider those people that do special. We put them off to the side. And then we have innate knowledge, right? Like, for instance, all snakes are bad. Uh, they're all terrible. And Miss Terry Peacock is somewhere around here. And yep, there you are. And she's looking at me like I'm the crazy one. But the fact is that all of us understand this. So to go against it means that Miss Terry and Mr. Rodney are indeed the crazy ones of the group uh, and not us, right? But there's this outside knowledge and there's, there's inner knowledge. The term here that Paul uses to, to discuss knowledge is not this external knowledge that we gain from experience, but instead the term here is actually the Greek term oida. It means inner knowledge. As a matter of fact, this term right here means that it's not something that we learn from outside. It's only something that we know inside of us. And so the question is then, how do we gain this knowledge? How do we gain this knowledge? The passage right here says, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together. In other words, how we gain this knowledge is not anything that we obtain or we earn, but instead it's something given to us by God. It is given to us at the moment of our salvation. It is at that moment there that we begin to understand inside uh, the things of God that we begin on our path. And, and now granted, most of the time, this path of us understanding and knowing God is actually us getting rid of our own ideas, our own perceptions that we had of God and taking on those of Scripture. Because let's face it, we all have a lot of opinions and all of us are generally wrong whenever we give our opinions. But there is one thing that is constant. There is one thing that is true, especially here at First Baptist Church of Crawfield, and that is Scripture. Scripture is what should guide us. Scripture is the only truth that we have. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can ask any of the students on Wednesday nights, I always tell them, I say, listen, don't take my word for anything. Read Scripture, see what it has to say, and then apply that to your life. But inevitably, I'm right with Scripture, and so, you know, just listen to what I have to say, right? Uh, but the, the thing about this is that this, this knowledge that we gain, <coughs> excuse me, is different from the knowledge of the world, right? The knowledge of the world, when mixed with Christianity, right, as we mentioned earlier, it leads to the prosperity gospel. They claim that those who have done bad things basically have bad things done to them because they deserve it due to their actions, they claim that they die of sickness because of having little, little faith. And, and though we might look at these, these people and say, you know, as Baptists, you know, that's, that's what they believe, that's crazy. The fact is, is that we find even in our own lives and, and throughout Scripture the temptation to think just like this. Right? You come to Job. Job going through all these afflictions. That unbeknownst to him, there's a, there's a great thing that God's doing, right? And, and showing uh, Satan and, and us, as we read this thousands of years later, right? About the faithfulness of one man going before God when everything's taken away from him. And what did Job's friends come to him and say? Repent, for you've done something wrong. It's obvious you've done something wrong. Look at everything that's come against you, right? The disciples themselves even ask this when they see Jesus. They, they come up to a man born blind, and they ask, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it his parents or him in the womb? The fact is, is that most of the time, in order for us to gain true scriptural knowledge, we must deny ourselves. We must take on what Scripture has to say and apply that. And guys, if you disagree with Scripture, you are wrong and need to change that belief that you have. It is Scripture that drives us, nothing else. So, we know this inner knowledge. 
that those who love God. Now, we like to throw this term love around in our uh, society, right? Facebook, there's even a button on there. Uh, I'll be honest with you, one of my f- favorite stories, and she's going to kill me for saying this. It's not about you, honey. It's okay. It's about your mother. Uh, so, <laughs> but my mother-in-law, one, uh, my uncle Glenwood, Glenwood from many of you know him, uh, passed away a number of years ago. I was in college. And, uh, and to be honest with you, with all my great uncles, I'm really close with all of them. So um, it, it's, it's, been, it's been awesome to live in Panacea, grow up with all of them, and, 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 and have such a great relationship with all of them. And, and when Uncle Glenwood died, I, I really loved my Uncle Glenwood. And it, it really broke me that, that he passed away. And my mother-in-law texted me. She said, I'm sorry that your Uncle Glenwood died. LOL. Now, LOL to all the teenagers here in this room means what? Laugh out loud. Well, she thought that it meant lots of love. And so here she goes texting me, I'm sorry that your, grand, your uncle died, LOL. Like it's, and so, I, I mean, and understanding, you know, seeing that and understanding that my mother-in-law at the time, my girlfriend's mother, you know, liked me a little bit, you know, at least. Uh, I understood that there was some sort of discrepancy there on, on that term, um, uh, the last L, right, on, on love. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of times we say and throw the word love around uh, and we get it wrong, Right. And so we look at we look at this and say, okay, well, we understand what love is when in fact the truth is that we generally do not. The term here, love, is uh, the term agape, right? It's this, this great love that God has for his people and one that we're to have uh, for God, right? But not only that, but this term here for, for love is actually in the present tense, meaning that it has started and it continually goes. It continues on. Right? You continue in your love. You, you go out. In fact, by definition, right, a relationship, uh, a marriage, right, is a continuing affair. Basically, to be in relationship with Christ means that you continue in Christ. And so when we are called to love God, it's not that we're called to love at that specific moment and only that, but it's a progression. We continue to love God. We continue to grow in our love toward God, right? And in, in doing so and in continuing to, uh, to love God and continuing to grow with God, right, we, we find out more knowledge, right? That inner knowledge that we gain uh, through our salvation and reading Scripture, right? Right, just as when uh, when me and my wife began to go together, right, I looked at her and I was like, I like her; she's pretty. Uh, and then uh, as we have progressed now in eleven years of marriage uh, and all that, I, I know a lot more about her, and my love for her now is, is deeper than it was back then. At that time, it was a lot more shallow. But now, and in, in, in suffering together and going through all kinds of stuff, I, I love her because I know I can rely and depend on her wholeheartedly. Right? It's the same thing with our, our love for God. It is through trials and through suffering that our love for God becomes more deep because we begin to rely on Him for everything that we have. If we rely on ourselves, we do not rely on God. You know, the, the, there's a saying that many like to say incorrectly that, uh, that God only helps those that can help themselves. That is a lie. We are dead in our trespasses. We are dead in our sin. We cannot help ourselves. We need a life raft. We need a buoy to come across and praise God that he gave us just that in Christ. You see, with a society who continues to use the term love to mean anything that it wants, we must define it. And this love here is a sacrificial, continual love that we have for God and God has for us. 
Perhaps the reason that we don't follow God wholeheartedly is because we only love God when the circumstances we deem favorite us. Right? When we gain stuff, right? Just like that pastor. Look at all these cars I have. Look at all these mansions I have. God, I love God because I have this. And the fact is, is that most of the time, it is for people who go through trials and they see that the only thing they have indeed is the love of God that they can rely on, that they end up depending more on it. That's right. Amen, girl. I'm raising her right. <laughs> now, we must turn the question to, what about those who once loved God but don't seem to any longer? The term here for love is a continuing love. And especially being Baptists who, who believe in the perseverance of the saints, I would say that those who said they love God did not indeed love God. Perhaps they had this worldly understanding of God where they gained this knowledge, right? They gained this, they earned this. And so now they think that they have it because it's something they've obtained, whether it be walking down an aisle perhaps or maybe a VBS saying something that they didn't really understand what they were talking about, right? Uh, and now they've gone away because that's not a knowledge that was given to them by salvation, the truth of the matter is, is that there are many people out here in this world that say they love God, but indeed live uh, not according to His Word. I've talked with students, of, we've mentioned this a couple times at Revolutions in past. Um, if you go to Walmart right now, well, maybe not right now, it's during church time, but we'll wait till after church time. But if you go, let's say, 1 or 2 o'clock, right? And you need to go ask 100 people uh, if they know Jesus, right? Um, probably 95 people would say, you know, let's go, let's say 90. You know, let's say there's 10 people. But majority, overwhelming majority would say they love God. Uh, the fact is that there are 32,000 people who live here in Wakulla County. Our churches have about 2,500 tops, you know, in church on Sunday morning, which means that about 94% of our county has no weekly engagement with the gospel. Now you tell me, if I was not at my house 94% of the time of my marriage, would I indeed be showing that I love my wife? Absolutely not. The fact is, is that many of these people do not know God. They do not love God. And this should actually spur us out with the gospel even more. That there are people who think that they are okay, that are lost and are dying and going to hell. Let us continue in the gospel. Let us share the love of God. But how do we keep growing in our love for God? Well, one of those answers is us, the church. See, Hebrews 10 and other passages tells us that we continue to encourage one another to love and good works. You know, us being here on a Sunday morning, I, I tell students that you have a job to do. You might be sitting in here and you're expected to walk in, you know, sit down and do your, your good deed for the week. But the truth of the matter is, is that when you walk in these doors, you have a job to do. And that is you encourage your brothers and sisters. You know, we're here on Mother's Day. And for some mothers, there's some women here in this room, this is a joyous occasion because they prayed for children and could not have children, and all of a sudden they've got children. This is also a very sad day because there are women who come in here who've prayed for children and have continued to not have children. 
And there are women in here and there are families in here who this is their first Mother's Day without mom. And so on a day that many would see as a day of joy, this is actually a very sad occasion. And so they come here to the church. And what should we do? Encourage them with the one love that truly goes deeper than that of a father and a mother. And that is the love that God has for his children. The fact that he gave Christ on the cross to buy us, to redeem us from sin. That is the love that we proclaim this morning. That is a love that goes deeper than anything that we could ever possibly think. Let us share that love with our county. Let us share that love with one another in this room. Next phrase, all things work together for good. Now, as we mentioned earlier, the, the subject of this is not all things, but it is indeed God. Uh, that is the, the, the noun here in this passage. The, the subject of this verse is not the things that happen that transpire. The, the subject of this verse is God. And whenever we, we look at our life circumstances, right, when we begin to focus on things and begin to take our focus off God is the moment that we begin to dive deeper. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about forgiveness, Right? And, and uh, so many of you, you know, in Sunday school, we talk about forgiveness, right? One of the things we talked about in our Sunday school class was that a lot of times when we don't forgive, we, we try to hold it in because we ourselves feel as if we should hold on to it, that we hold power. But indeed, we hold no power. There is nothing that we have that we can grasp a hold of. Instead, everything that is given to us is by God. It is by God that we get our blessings. It is by God that we get our sufferings, right? As Job prayed, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, this, this phrase, work together, right? It's this term, uh, synergo, that, uh, that you get our term sync from, right? Uh, so this is the term that means uh, all things work together. It, it's very much like syncing your cell phone and your computer, right? You, you begin to, the files are now the same on all of them. Uh, this term means that they are being brought together, you know, right, by God for, for, for His good, for, our, for His glory, now, I'm, I'm getting towards the end here, which is really nice for those of you who were really uh, scared that I was going to go long. Because the, the truth of the matter is, is that we see here that it is God who himself is working all of these things together. It's not us. Matter of fact, most of the time when we get involved in it is when stuff messes up. Right? Uh, it's that old saying, right? If, you, if you're going to try to find a church, you might as well just sit down in one because the moment you begin to pick one apart, you're never going to find a perfect church, right? Because we are all sinners and we are involved in it. But the truth of the matter is, is this, that God, even in our sinful state, even with the sufferings that go around, even if the government came down and said that we couldn't meet together, would be using all of that to grow us in a better understanding of who he is and what he's done for us. God is working all things together. Now, the next part right here, for those who are called. Now, this term here, called, it's also the same term that means summoned, right? Have you ever been summoned for jury duty, right, or, or anything like that? I have not yet had the pleasure. I'm, I'm quite looking forward to it. I thought about calling up the courthouse and being like, hey, uh, I need to make sure I'm on the list. Because, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a one part of American society that truly you do as a duty for, uh, for your country and for what it's done for you, right? And so I've yet to partake, but my wife has been asked a few times um, and, and it has never been taken. Uh, but this term, 
term summon, right? If you receive a court summons, let me ask you a question. Uh, are they suggesting that you be there? No, no, right? They're telling you at such and such date, at this time, your, your tail will be in that seat. And you'll wait until we tell you you can leave, right? That is a summons, right? It has nothing to do on your part. It has everything to do on the part of the court and what it's called you to do. Now, it's interesting that it is this term that Paul uses when he talks about for those who are called. Because the truth of the matter is this. That many think that, they're, uh, that they affect their calling by God. When in fact, Scripture teaches that it is God who summons us to salvation. Now, I'm not going to steal anymore because this goes into 29 and 30, and I don't want to get fired this week because Dave told me I could not touch 29 and 30. But that's exactly what it will continue to do and talk more about this summons that God has for us. Because the truth of the matter is this, that we as sinners cannot have any effect in our salvation because then it would indeed become sinful. It is everything in which God causes in our lives because, let's face it, we as sinners always, true, always choose what is wrong for us. We never choose what is right. And, in fact, if you look at Scripture, it points to, paints the picture of the fact that we were running away from God, and yet, at that moment, God calls us. That we were indeed enemies of God, and yet now have been made friends. According to his purpose. This is the last phrase. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And then you go in verse 10, right? In which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Christ. You see, it is God who brings out this work for, for his own purpose. It's not anything that we do. As a matter of fact, if you look throughout Scripture, it's not normally the best person that you would automatically pick to do the work of God, right? Moses called to go before Pharaoh. What was his issue? He was a stutterer, right? He didn't want the job. At the end, right, when, when he finally gave all of his excuses, what did he say? Lord, please don't send me, Right? You look at, uh, at Samuel, right? Uh, his mother uh, was, was basically uh, mistreated, uh, right? He, he, he was, he was go, given to the, to the temple uh, to, to work as just a regular worker, and yet God used him to begin to do a mighty work in which then he eventually began to anoint kings, as a matter of fact, normally it's the time that, that we deem fit, right? The people that we deem fit end up doing a lot of our problems, right? You look at Saul, King Saul, right? He was a handsome man, strong, well-built, looked like, you know, just a leader. And yet we see he just about brings ruin to Israel. As a matter of fact, it's David, the shepherd boy, the run, the one child who his dad, even his dad was like, nah, it can't be that guy that God uses to expand the kingdom and, and eventually uh, uh, establish Jerusalem as the capital and holy city that it was. God uses the most peculiar people to do his work. Why? Because if, if we indeed leaned on anything that we did, we would move away from the Lord. Praise God that he uses someone from Panacea to speak his word. Praise God that he uses... His people to go to a lost and dying world who can look at these people and say, listen, I am you. 
I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and God did just that. According to his purpose. But know that we are saved for a purpose. That purpose is for us, as Jesus says in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1, to go and share the gospel. We are not called to be idle. We are called to go forward. And so, in conclusion, I know that's Mr. Steve's favorite word in the back. Suffering is not the exception. Suffering is the expectation. But yet, God is faithful in that He can use what we would think and what many would think would be our doom to be something to build us and draw us closer to Him. My first thought of thinking about this is the thief on the cross. Right? Both, both thieves are sitting there chastising Jesus as they go and die. And yet, one of them turns and asks Jesus to be with him whenever he dies. What was meant to be the worst day of his life, God used it to be the best day of his life. Now, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. The fact is, like we said, there are many ladies out here who are struggling today, many families that are struggling. Know this, the love of God surpasses all love that you could possibly know externally through fathers and through mothers, through families. It is a sustaining love. But one other thing that this should cause us to do, and I'm going to end on this, this is draw us closer to worship, to praise God for everything that He has done for us. Because the truth of the matter is this, we were once dead and now made alive. Our worship should be affected by what God has done for us. In fact, this should draw us to even further worship. Uh, this week, as, as I was as writing, uh, going through this studying and, and reading and, and, and writing and whatnot, um, I had a specific passage or a specific uh, uh, song that continued to just play in my mind. As a matter of fact, I ended up putting it on repeat. Um, uh, only a holy God, if you, know, if you know this passage. In fact, we're going to know it because uh, Sarah inadvertently told me this morning, I was singing it as I was coming down the stairs. She went, oh, that's our next song that we're going to sing. And I was like, great! I wish it was this week because I've only been singing it this entire week. Uh, but the fact is, is that only a holy God can do all this for us. Only a holy God can give us the ability to have life and have it abundantly. Only a holy God could pay the penalty for sin on our behalf. This should draw us to worship and praise Him more for what He has done for us. So especially here at First Baptist, here in a second, I'm going to pray. Let us worship God for what He has done for us. We were once dead, and now we've been made alive. We suffer, and yet He uses it for our salvation. The fact is that we did not know love, and now love has been given to us, though we do not deserve it. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord. We praise you for just the goodness that you've, you've demonstrated in Christ. Father, we praise you for the goodness you've demonstrated in your family that is here at the church. And Father, we pray as we go into this time of invitation that, Father, that you would just speak clearly to us. Show us where we've sinned. Show us where we fall short so we can repent. 
Father, so we could trust you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this podcast from First Baptist Church of Crawfordville. You can find more information and follow us on Facebook or visit our website, crawfordvillefbc.com.